0: as followers of jesus we are called to follow the ways of his kingdom we know from scripture what things should look like but we also look at the world around us and see a harsh reality of how things are through entertainment social media the unending news cycle, and even
1: driving through our own communities, it is easy to see a culture that lives in stark contrast to the standard of God. How should we respond? How do we live? How do we represent Christ well in the places where faith and culture collide?
0: In the summer of uh, 2001... Sasha and I were driving back to our home. We were living in Chandler, Texas at the time. We'd come from a family reunion in Louisiana. She was in the passenger seat. In those days, I drove a bright red Ford Ranger. We were crossing over uh, the river on a bridge, and I glanced to my right to look at what was happening there on the river. And when I look back up, I see a Winnebago heading into my lane. Now, I jerked the wheel. The next thing that I heard was the sound of crashing metal, breaking glass, the roar of a Winnebago about this far from my head, and me screaming in the cab. And that's what woke my wife up from her deep slumber. (laughs) We'd been in a collision. Thankfully, God's hand of protection given me NASCAR-like reflexes in that moment saved us from a head-on collision. In fact, we were able to walk away. I say that I, I kind of looked like Jesus on a, on a passion Easter play because I had blood like coming down from my head because of the glass that was, that was uh, had flown. But I mean, really, they took me to the hospital, checked me out and uh, let me take a shower there and then sent me on the road. In fact, we drove that truck all the way back from, uh, from where we were at another hour and a half to two hours back home. But then they totaled it, the insurance comp- totaled it a, a, a week later. We were safe. How many know collisions aren't fun, right? A Winnebago versus a Ford Ranger? Let me tell you, the Winnebago wins every time. (laughs) The church is in a collision daily. We're constantly at the intersection between where our faith and culture meet. How do we navigate a shifting culture? It doesn't take long to look at the difference in eras to realize we are in a different culture. In fact, I was going to pull up lyrics from uh, the, top 20, uh, the top 40, uh, number one song from like 40 or 60 years ago and, 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 and compare it this morning from there um, to today, but I couldn't read today's lyrics because if I did, uh, you guys would actually uh, go ahead and fire me this morning and, and not let me be your pastor anymore. If you compare the music and the media of 20, 40, or even 60 years ago to today, you see a shift that's taking place in culture. When the values of culture we live in meet our belief, there's a collision. So how do we navigate that intersection of faith and culture? How do we live for God in a godless world? Thankfully, we're not the first to have to deal with this with a changing culture. In fact, the Bible's our guidebook for living. We're, we're able to glean truth from the stories in the word of God and apply them to our life. And the book of Daniel uh, tells us the story of a group of people who were really ripped out of their homeland and taken into a godless culture. Today we're beginning a new series called Collide. It's where faith and culture meet. It's a study of the book of Daniel. If you'll look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God, Then the king ordered Eshpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other nobles who had been brought to Babylon as captive. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, kind of like your pastor. He said, okay, I'm just seeing if y'all were awake this morning. He said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Trained these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon, then king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of these young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. In 1612 BC, Assyria, the, the major world power at that time, was conquered by the Babylonian coalition. About four years after King Josiah's death, Babylon defeated Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish. That was in 605 BC. By that time, Babylon had become like this incredible world power, uh, the most powerful nation on the earth. In that same year, the Babylonian army, uh, led by Nebuchadnezzar, invaded Judah. They captured Jerusalem, and sent some of Jerusalem's finest young men to to Babylon to be trained. Among those were Daniel, his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah, but we commonly know those last three by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel is the story of living for God in a godless culture. Throughout this series, what we're going to look at is some different parts of the story uh, of Daniel and his friends. You know Daniel in the lion's den, you know the, the, the fiery furnace. We're going to look at those, and there's some of the stories that we're going to look at. And, and it's going to really kind of be a guidebook or a playbook, if you will, of how do you stand firm and live for God where the collision of faith and culture happen. Today I'm going to set this series up because I want you to understand a key moment in the story of Daniel. So we're, we're not going to start in chapter 1. We're going to fast forward to chapter 6. Daniel is now older. You know, they, they believe that when he was, he was about 16 when he was first captured. By this time in the story, he's probably in his early 60s. He served now his third king. He's on his third different king to serve during the Babylonian captivity. He's, he's not only been able to survive living in a godless culture, but he's been able to thrive. And in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. Think of those as towns or, or areas, counties, if you will. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. So maybe like a, a county judge or a mayor in our context today. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers. So they became like the governors, if you will, and and to protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators. And all the other high officers. And because of his great ability, the king made plans. He was going to put him over the entire empire. He was going to make him like the vice, vice uh, dictator, if you will, over the entire, entire empire. Then it says in verse 4, the other administrators and high officers began searching because they wanted to find a fault with, with Daniel and how he was handling his government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Why? He was faithful, he was always responsible, he was completely trustworthy, so they concluded that our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. He was faithful, he was responsible, he was trustworthy, he had proved himself to be this capable leader. The only thing that they could get on Daniel was that he had faith in God the only thing that they could find fault with. So he, he was committed to God. So if they were going to bring him down, it would need to be in connection with the rules of his religion. Or I liked how the message uh, actually paraphrases this here. They said that they could cook something up religious. They could just cook something up religious. It's amazing to me that the only thing that they could pin on him, I mean, he was on time. He did things the right way. It had to do with his religion. They were satisfied with his integrity, his character, his abilities, but not his God. In the midst of their desire for more power and more control, they attacked his religion. I want you to, I want you to catch this this morning. In the midst of needing more power and needing more control, they attacked his religion. So how do we respond when the attack is on? We stand firm, absolutely. We stand firm. Like Daniel and his friends, who we see in the stories, they never bowed. They didn't bow down to the idols that were, were set up. They, they didn't refuse to pray when it, when, it, when it was a time to pray. We have to continue to act with biblical integrity and remain faithful. Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he's our example of standing firm. This morning, I want to give you a basis for our actions, a foundation, if you will, of how to stand firm in a godless country, uh, culture. And so, if we look at Jesus as our example, I want to turn your attention to John chapter 1. <coughs> Pardon me, this morning. I got some allergy stuff going on, folks, so y'all have to forgive me if I have to take a swig of water this morning. John chapter 1, or if you're with me, say amen. Verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump to 10 through 14. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's us. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And he and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I want you to look at it in the NIV. It says the word became flesh. Maybe you've heard that before. The word became flesh and made his home is dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of say this with me grace and truth the king james and the english standard version also use that phrase grace and truth write this down this morning <coughs> truth is god's standard truth is god's standard Verse 17 of John 17, this is a prayer. It's at the end of kind of Jesus' time on earth. He's, he's had his last supper. He's, he's praying, and he's praying over his disciples, and not just those disciples, but all disciples for all time. In verse 17, he says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is then the standard by which we should live. Our goal is to be like Jesus. Did you hear me this morning? Pastor, that's simple. Then why aren't we doing it? Our goal is to be like Jesus, not the world, like Jesus. Number uh, Next, grace. What is grace? Grace is God's favor. Jesus was not only full of truth, he was full of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. We don't deserve grace. We don't. We don't deserve grace. It's unmerited favor. There's nothing that we have done to deserve that. The New Living Translation, as it says it, is unfailing love. There's nothing that we've done to deserve the love of God. There's nothing that we've done that uh, has earned the love of God in our life. So as we engage culture, we need to understand that we have to live in this tension between grace and truth. Problems enter when we live in one extreme or the other. Some are too full of grace that they water down or they even reject the truth. We're seeing this happen in the church today. We're seeing this happen in the body of Christ today that people are so full of grace that they're watering down the truth. Then there's some people that are so holding on to truth that they reject grace and that becomes legalism. We have to live in this tension between grace and truth. It's not truth or grace, it's truth and grace. It's not either or, it's both and. So without truth, we're corrupt. Without grace, we're condemned. Without truth, we become worldly. And without grace, we become judgmental. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. And so grace invites us to be free so that the truth can do what? The truth can set us free. Can I get a good amen on that this morning? See, when Jesus operated in the tension of grace and truth, we can see that in action in John chapter 8. It's the story of the woman that's caught in adultery. Um, I'm not going to read it all this morning, but you know it. They, they, brought, they brought this woman uh, to uh, the religious leaders. They bring it to Jesus. He's teaching at the temple. They bring her to him. They throw her down in front of him. And, and they say, this woman's been caught, caught in adultery. The law of Moses uh, says to stone her, what do you say? And they're trying to trap him. And so he just starts writing stuff in the dust. They kept demanding an answer, the scripture says in verse 7. And he stood up again and he says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stoops back down, and he begins to write some things. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said this, Neither do I go and sin no more. Did you see that? He didn't let her off the hook. That's what's happening in our culture today. Well, oh, you can, you can just continue to live your life the way that you've been living it. No, he said, Go and sin no more. He gave her truth, but he gave it with grace. He said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. He gave her grace. He says, go and sin no more. So, how do we live in this tension of grace and truth? Oh, church, it's simple. But I want you to understand that if we're going to, if we're gonna, if we're gonna intersect. If we're going to meet in that intersection between faith and culture, that people are looking for somebody who's genuine, people are looking for grace, they're looking for truth, they understand that when they come to Jesus, that they're probably going to be some things that change. That's why many of them are reluctantly, but there, there, there's so many of them who have been beat over the head and condemned and judged, and, and, and the hate-filled speech of the church that is is dominated for, for centuries, really, and, and and they're saying, listen, I, just, I need somebody to keep Care for me and love me. And that's what Jesus did. So number one, we're to love people. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. Pastor Ben hit on this last week. But it's good, so we need to hear it again. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Did you, did you see what the proof is? The proof is your love for one another. The proof is love. The proof is not how, how much you know, we walk around and we, we share about, well, I don't do this and I don't do that and I, I condemn this and I condemn that and all the stuff that we put on our social media and how that, no, the proof is in how we love. Oh, y'all are quiet this morning. The proof is in the fruit. If we say that we are holy, have the Holy Spirit living inside, I want you to help me. I want you to get this this morning. If we say that we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, but are hateful, mean-spirited curmungians, then do we really have the Holy Spirit living inside of us? Pastor, you're preaching this morning. I know, I love you. But I want you to catch this this morning because I believe that the church is the hope of the world. I believe that Jesus is the hope for the world, and he's given us the vehicle, which is the church, to bring that hope to the world. And I want us to be full of the Holy Spirit of God. The proof is in the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. Galatians 5.5, 5, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in what? Love. Love. Paul's writing, he's correcting the Galatian church, he's saying, listen, if you look at the whole book of Galatians, what the the theme of that is, is this, is that they had been a legalistic society. The church at Galatia had made these rules and regulations and he's saying to them, listen, you can can be free. You can be free. The desire of the sinful nature and the desire of the flesh, you know, and he, he separated all that. And he's trying to help them that the fruit of the spirit is love. And he told them right here in this verse of scripture, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. We've got to love people. Number two, I'm going quick this morning is we got to give hope by serving. 1 Corinthians 9.19, it says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Are we me-focused or are we other focused I-, I-, I can't serve, pastor, because I don't have time. I can't serve because people are going to think that I'm weird. They're going to think I'm weird. You know, I'm, you know I, if, I, if, I, if I go and do something for them or I go and bless them, they're going to think I'm weird. I can't serve because that's not my gift or that's not my ministry. I call bull on that. I can't serve because we don't say this, but we feel this because that's beneath me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of all lords. He stripped off his royalty. He took the position of a servant, and he came to this earth so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43, it says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, I've made that a theme verse in my life few years ago when I, when I started getting involved in some of the community uh, things that I was involved in and um, I was involved at, at heavily in one organization, the leader of that organization came to me and they said, hey, you've been doing this and you've been doing a good job and we want to put you in on this part over here. Would, would you be willing to do that? And you know what my response was? I'm here to serve, not to be served because I want to be like Jesus. So wherever you need my help, that's where I'm going to help oh, pastor, you could be taken advantage of. So was Jesus. I want, I want, I, and I'm gonna tell you what happened over the course of the next few years. I had people that would come to, I had some, came, it came to my office, call, text, walking the street with a group of people that were in that and would ask me theological questions because I was there, not as a, hey, come serve me. It's all about me. I came with the attitude, I'm here to serve, not to be served. And when one time when they were they were saying something about me, and I'm not saying this to, to float rusty, I want you to understand, Paul said this, he said, follow my example as I follow Christ. And I want you to understand, I'm saying this to you because I've lived this. But they said about me, they said, what we like about him is that if we ask him to do, if he if he can serve an area, that this is what he says. He's not here to be served. He's here to serve. That's Jesus, friends. That's Jesus. Oh, but pastor, I'm going to be so busy. I'm going to, I'm going to do so much. I'm, it's, all going to, it's all going to come. Listen, I'm not trying to tell you to get beyond yourself, but so many people are sitting in the stands watching the game when God's called you to get on the field and play. And I'm tired of seeing a generation of people saying, well, I don't have time. Listen, my wife is famous for throwing this in my face when I'm talking about I don't have time to exercise and do that. She says, you make time for what you want to make time for. I guarantee you, tonight, about 7 o'clock, I'm going to be sitting on a a recliner somewhere, and I'm going to be watching my Cowboys beat the 49ers. Why? Because I make time for what I want to make time for. So I can't make an excuse that I don't have time to serve when I'm watching whatever show that I want to watch on TV, when I'm doing whatever recreational activity that I want to do. If I have time to do those things, then I've got time to serve and give my gifts and give hope to this world through the gifts and the talents that God has given me. Can I get some Somebody to give God a praise in this place this morning Amen. number three I love you today good hope give hope by sharing Christ you say pastor this is this is simple it's elementary stuff yes and why aren't we doing it we're all been given the responsibility to share about Christ in Daniel, in Daniel chapter two Nebuchadnezzar has this disturbing dream and and, and, and he, he calls all of his wise men, he calls the astrologers, the magicians, he calls the sorcerers, he calls the enchanters together. He tells them uh, what the dream was, he, he wouldn't tell them what the dream was, or, or, but he said, listen, I want you to tell me what the dream is and I want you to interpret it. Now, how many know nobody could do that? Now, you know, if they would have told him the dream, they could have made some kind of interpretation up. That's why he wanted them to tell him what his dream was and then interpret nobody could do it. So he says, listen, I'm going I'm to kill all of you. I'm going to have them all killed. He sends the order out, and they come, and they show up to Daniel. Ariak, the commander of the king's guard, he came to kill them, verse 14, and it says that Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. The NIV uses the term wisdom and tact. What did Daniel do? He acted with grace and truth. He said, listen, can I have a little bit more time? Let me go pray. So he gathered his friends together. They, they prayed And in that moment, God reveals the dream to Daniel. And he was able to speak about God and he was able to say, they were like, wow, Daniel, you could do this. And he said, no, no, God's the revealer of the mysteries. I'm not, this is not me, this is God. In verse 47, the king said this, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. A revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this secret. Now, church, I want you to see something this morning. We may not be required to interpret somebody's dreams or to reveal mysteries, but we can give hope by sharing Christ. First Peter chapter three, verse 15 through 16. says, "Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, Always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way, keeping your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Here's what he's saying when you have an opportunity to share, speak the truth, but speak it with grace. Speak the truth, or as Ephesians chapter four tells us, to speak the truth in love, we don't come with the truth and beat people over the head with it, but we come with the truth. I want you to see that this morning. Just because we don't want to be that, I'm beating people over the head. And Listen, we need to love people enough to tell them that they're going to burn in hell if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We need to love people enough to tell them that the Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life, regardless of what, 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 what culture may say, regardless of what the world may say, there's only one way to heaven. There's only one name that's above every name. There's only one way that you can get in, and that name is Jesus Christ. And we have to have enough love, enough grace in our heart that we speak the truth in, with compassion. I'm telling you, it's, it's got to be with compassion. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. Father, we just thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. God, and, and we know that, that, that you are in control. And God, we want to be on the front line of what you're doing. God, I believe that there's a move of God coming in 2023. God, in this culture, in our world, God, you're raising up a generation of people who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they know that it's the power of God for salvation. And I pray right now, God, that we would be your your hands extended. God, that we would go out and we would be Jesus with skin on. That we would be the hope for the world that we would let our light shine before men, that they may see the good works and glorify God on the day that he returns. So this morning, God, I ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to experience all you have in store for us. In Jesus' name. Here's the altar today. Those of you that are in the room, we've got a a board over here and a board over here. Some of you, you're like, you know exactly what we're about to do because we've done something similar like this in the past. In fact, what we're going to do is, I've I've got a little card, and our ushers are going to put this in your hand. These are, it says right here, these are the five friends I will pray for and invite to hope on friend day. How many know that, that sometimes you need to, you need to have something that you're looking for. You know, you can invite them any Sunday, but on friend day, we're going to have a good time. Our hospitality team's going to lead us and have a a good meal for us after service that day. We're going to have a bounce house for the kids. We'll have that set up. They can, after service, they can play. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to have a good time. And we want you to invite your friends. So we're calling it friend day. Bring a friend to church day. Nothing special. I'm gonna speak, preach that day. We're gonna have worship. It's gonna be just a normal service. We'll give an altar call that day, like we do most Sundays for salvation. November the fifth. You get an extra hour of sleep, so there's no reason that you shouldn't you shouldn't be at church that day. You, you've got an extra hour, so don't stay up late on 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 Saturday night. You know, go to bed early. Maximize that extra hour of sleep. Don't stay up watching Saturday Night Live thinking you can, you uh, you know, because you can get that extra hour of sleep. Y'all don't do that anyway, but I'm just saying. Don't do that. Don't stay up watching the Pac-12 game. It's not going to matter next year. They're not going to exist anyway. Uh, Five friends. You say, Pastor, I got more than five friends that I want to bring, that I want to, then grab two. Write their name. You say, I don't want to put their name down uh, because they might see it. And just put put their initial. I want to tell you, there's some of you, your name has been on this before. And the reason that you're attending this church today is because somebody wrote your name on a card, came up and pinned it on a board, and you were prayed for. So now it's time that we do it for a new generation, that we come in and we believe that God is going to help us to reach the lost, to love people, to serve people, and to give hope by sharing the gospel with them. So this morning, I'm going to pray with you, and then Tisha's going to begin to lead us in this song, Believe For It. And once you've got your five names, as they sing, I want you to come, and I want you to pin it on one of these boards. So if you're in about this way, you know, kind of those over on the side, come this way. Those of you on this side, come this way. There's push pins there. You can just stick it there. And then, and, then, and then we're going to pray over them this morning. We're gonna pray over them this morning. And then every prayer meeting that we have from here on, between now and then, we're gonna be praying for these. We're gonna be asking God to give you opportunities, to invest in them, to invite them. And those of you that are online today, let me look at you. Listen, you can do this at your home. Some of you watch us from from all over the place. And I'm honored that you've chosen to, to be a part of this church through online. I want to speak to you today and tell you, listen, go to connectedhope.com, click on that thing that says five friend focus, fill that out. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to print that out. We're going to stick it on the board and we're going to pray for your friends too. Because just because you don't live in Sulphur Springs or Hopkins County or the surrounding areas doesn't mean that, that you can't invite friends to come to your house Say, Pastor, I don't have Sue, I don't have Sue doing all the food and the hospitality team doing the food, then why don't you throw out a little brunch spread for them? Be Jesus with skin on. Father, I thank you today. God, would you give us the names? God, I'm asking you right now that you would give us the name of the people that you want us to invest in, that you want us to invite. And I pray today that you would open up our hearts and our minds, not not just to write a name and forget about it, but to write a name and to truly go after them. Encourage them and remind them that you are the hope of the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. As Tisha begins to sing, would you, and the ushers are going to give you one of these, would you write down that name? And would you then take this as she comes and just just write it down and then stick it on there. There's pins on the board that you can push pins that you can do that. Go ahead as she begins to sing this morning. you stretch your hands to that board. Those of you that are on this side, would you stretch your hand to this board? Father, we just thank you right now. Every name represents a person. Every person has a soul and every soul matters to God. I pray right now, God, that you would give us divine opportunities God, that this wouldn't just be an exercise that we do, but God, it would be something that would really identify people that we're praying for, that we're believing for. God, and I don't know that I've ever prayed this way before, but there are names that are not on the board right now that you want to be on the board. I pray this week that you would convict us. Maybe not even conviction, but reminders. We would see their face and you would and you would just whisper into our, our spirits that's him, that's her. That's the person you need to invite. That's the person that you need to pray for. And I pray, God, that life change and transformation would happen. God, that we would speak the truth in love. That we would live in the tension between truth and grace. God, because you were full of them both. And I ask, Lord, that you would let us be your hands extended. And that on November the 5th for Friend Day that we would see not just a pact of house, of people, but we would see lives changed and new beginnings that day in Jesus' name. God's people said, you may be see that this morning. I want to tell you that this Wednesday night, we're kicking off our, our, our next round of community groups. If you've not signed up yet, if you didn't sign up on the deal, listen, how do you know truth? You know truth when you are deep into the word. Amen. We we're to go and to make disciples. This is the discipleship piece of hopefully fellowship. And I believe that everybody needs to grow in community. That's one of our values. So sign up on the table. Jeremiah is going to do an awesome job teaching us in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to continue that thought of finances and helping people grow and and taking some of what we shared in our last series, don't talk about money, and putting it into the into a practical uh, aspect of it. And so I'm excited. Uh, that's this Wednesday night. We'll have childcare. We'll have a nursery provided, but everybody, amen. Say, that's me. Oh, that didn't help me out there. I said, everybody say, that's me. Should grow in community. So sign up today afterwards. Uh, Joey's coming up at this time.
2: Okay, so it's that time of year again. Uh, don't know whether y'all know about it or not, but this was Pastor Appreciation Week, so we took the time to thank our pastors for their time, their efforts, because y'all. I mean, there there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes that that even we as board members don't know about. Things that take place in this church, in the governing bodies of this church, that we, that our pastor takes care of, that we that would never even dream about. But we also want to take time to thank them for their efforts that they put forth in this body to make this church what it is. Last year, about this time, actually probably sometime in November. We lost Zach. He went on to bigger and better things in his life. And so we were without a youth pastor. We had a lady step up, Miss Sasha. She says, okay, I'll take it. She was already head of the nursery. You know, she takes care of all those kids at that elementary school. I don't see how she does that. I'd be... (laughs) Yeah, be, I, I couldn't do that. They, they'd have me in jail. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so she takes it over and, uh, and says, done very remarkable with it. And in the process of that, Ben helps out also. So we already had two people here that just stepped up and took the reins of that. So we want to take the time and thank Sasha for what she does for this church. we thank you so much and of course you know I can't go without the silent giant in the back the do all and when I say do all I mean it don't make no difference what you need done you need the limbs picked up you need the driveway swept you need the media done you need the youth taken care of you need the place vacuumed up because the water's running down the hallway two o'clock in the morning whatever it is he's a saint Ben. You know, we, we were just talking about Winsboro and, and and so forth. Ben was the pastor at Winsboro. I know a lot of y'all know that, but a lot of y'all don't know. Ben was the pastor over there right, when we first took over over there. Did a remarkable job, and he was a very young man when he did that. A little gray now, but he'll be all right. <laughs> And kids will do it to you, won't they? Anyway, and then he goes to, and then just like Jeremiah and all the other uh, uh, teachers and so forth that work with kids, teaches school with high school kids and junior high kids. Another thing I couldn't do, I'd be in jail again, you know. Third time, I'd be, you know, life sentence. Ben, thank you. No problem. Okay, now, Last but not least, do I? <laughs> I'll get you here in just a minute. <laughs> okay, so you know what I was talking about a while ago about it, the things that take place behind the scenes. This is the man who takes care of that. I mean, you know, during the week, this guy, I mean, you no, know, he goes to these meetings, he stays on top of things. I can't tell you all the things that he does behind the scenes that you don't know about the things I can tell you about what he's done and just in my life. Baptized by three three kids, married my son, and was there when I died at the hospital. Okay, enough of the teary eye stuff now. Okay. But he's done the same for all of you. Funerals, weddings, whatever you need done, organizing things, taking care of things, getting, you know, the the, the stuff behind the scene is unreal. That's our leader. Bible tells us to pray for our leaders too, doesn't it? You don't necessarily have to mean our government leaders, you can talk about our church leaders so I'm going to ask Steve to come here for me just a second and the reason why I get him because he's loud (laughs) see what I'm talking about I need my three I need y'all to come back please Ben come here please anyone else fail to compel to come down here to put your hands on these people and pray for them feel free to come down so we're gonna pray for these people that lead this church every day. These are the people that put their heart and their soul. Just like we put our heart and our soul into them, they put their heart and soul into us. So if you will stand to your feet, stretch out your hands this way. And we're gonna pray. Father God, I just
3: praise you, God. Lord. God, I ask you to touch my pastor Inside of him, God, like he's never had it before, God. God, in the name of Jesus, bless him, God. And I praise you, precious Father. Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. God, I ask you, right now, God, in the name of Jesus. Oh, this precious woman right here, God, you to do anything for everybody, God. God, in the name of Jesus. I ask you, Lord, to pour your spirit inside of her, God. Fill her up from the soles of her feet to the top of her head, God. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, precious Jesus, to bless her, God. Lord, I praise you, precious Father. Thank you, Jesus, for her, God. God, in the name of Jesus. Oh, God. What a man. Oh, she la casataya. Re under la in the name of Jesus, God. In the name of Jesus, God. Born in him, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless him, God. Praise you, precious Father. Thank you, Jesus. For oh, a perfect, precious man right here, God. In the name of Jesus. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah, God. Praise, Praise you, Jesus.
0: You. Praise you, Jesus. I always say you haven't been prayed for until you've been prayed for by Steve. <laughs> and uh, I mean that. Uh, wow. Um I, I, I just want to say um, days like this, Um, are humbling because as I said in the message that Jesus came to be not to be served but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many Um, I I entered I remember it was a Sunday night when I'd been feeling the stir of God in my heart and I'd kind of grown up and in a time and a season where the economy was bad, like it is now. And our family had gone through some financial struggles and I didn't want that for my family. I I wanted to, my goal was to make money and make a lot of it. And my goal in life was to go to Baylor and to become a lawyer. (laughs) And God has a way of taking that gift of gab (laughs) and using it for his kingdom. And I remember when it was a sophomore year of high school and God began to stir my heart. And my pastor walked down, Paul Paulzer, man of God. On a Sunday night, and he was about there in the altar, and I was probably about where you're at, Garrett, but he came right to me and he said, you're called to preach, aren't you? It was a statement and a question. The statement confirmed what God has done in me. And the question allowed me to vocalize what God was doing in me. I'll never forget that moment. Because I've stood in the same place in that church many times and reflected on that. That I'm not here because this is me. I'm here because this is what God has called me to do in my life. Met Sasha years later and, and I was captivated by her outward and inward beauty. And God had led her on a different journey, but she felt called to be a pastor's wife. And he brought us together. Then a few years ago, looking for a campus pastor, God brings Pastor Ben and Haley into our lives. And I'll never forget the moment standing probably back there in the back when I said to him, he was contemplating a change in direction in his life. And I said, if you're gonna go somewhere and serve a pastor, would you stay here and serve with me? And he prayed about it and said, yes. And I've never regretted that. In fact, I'm grateful for it, Ben, I love you. You are a right hand, you're an armor bearer in the truest sense of the word. And I'm grateful for you. Grateful for pastor Keith and Denise. I know we're looking at a new season, but they've asked me and they've asked to stay connected. Even if we, they said, Pastor, even if we're separated as sovereign church, we still want to be mentored by you. I'm like, really? Wow. That's awesome because I love them. I love them. I love their boys. They're doing amazing. Man, I was a proud grandpa last Sunday. I'm telling you, when I looked up there and there was David on the guitar and Eli on the drums, and I'm like, man, this is so awesome. And the worship was so good. God is good. And I'm thankful for my team. I'm thankful for my board. I'm thankful for Joey and Sue and Tisha. I'm thankful for Sam who served on my board for all of the time until recently. I'm thankful for Sid who uh, didn't hear from God and moved to Missouri. I'm thankful for Chris, who didn't hear from God and moved to Missouri, and and Joyce, who didn't hear from God and moved to Alabama. No, they did. But I'm thankful for them. They've been, those seven have served with me these last nine years, off off and on in different seasons. I'm thankful for our leaders that have served and led ministries, Sonny and our... Senior adults, Jeremiah, and the community groups, so many of you, and I get in trouble with names. But as I was thinking, I knew today was coming, and I'll tell you who I'm really thankful for today. Harold, I'm thankful for you. You were with me from day one. Beverly was with me from day one. Jerry, you were with me from day one. Kathy, you've been with me since day one. I'm thankful for those of you that have been with me. There's not many of us left. <laughs> Y'all can't move. Y'all can't hear from God and move. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord, people like Joe and Joe Bell and Dessa Hatley, Irene. See, I used to think in youth ministry it was hard that you would you would invite these kids, you would invest them in their life, and then six years they would graduate and go to school. But there's a part of me today that I get to be kind of that proud papa with all of them because I've got I got kids that are doing some amazing things for God all across this nation. Some that are serving in ministry, pastoring today, serving on staff. Man, when you pastor somebody and they get their eternal reward. There's something about that that is uh, different because your heart is with them. So I'm grateful for those that were with me in the beginning that are still here on this side of heaven, those that have gone on to other parts of the nation and those that have gone on to glory. And I'm thankful for you that are with me today because I firmly believe that God's got something amazing in store for us. You know, I don't know what the future holds. I don't. I can tell you that we've put everything in God's hand. We know that he's got a plan and a purpose. We know that part of that is moving on. We're we're real close, real close. Um, I think within the next month we should be able, I keep saying that, but we are at the final, final stage of being able to show you the new plans, and I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about the next steps, but I don't know how it's going to go. I have plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So here we are, just ready and saying, God, we're available. And and that's my heart, church. But I do know this. We're going to love God. We're going to love people. And we're going to give hope. So thank you for loving us. And thank you for loving our family. Our girls have now... Now that we've been here over nine years, our girls have grown up here. Uh, You know, they were just small when we got here and Kenzie's driving now, that's crazy to me. Maddie's in college and uh, I've gotten to watch them grow up here but I've also got to watch some of your kids grow up here. And and as he said, man, you got me, you got me, baptizing your three kids. If I'm gonna stay around long enough, Jared, we're gonna marry you off too, okay, buddy? And it's gonna be a while. We're gonna we're gonna marry you off too. You got a few more years, but it's an honor. It's an honor and a privilege to be your pastor. So thank you for loving us. Father, I I pray today for this church. One, first off, I thank God for this church. For every person, for the people that have been with me since day one and the people that have just started coming in the last few months. I thank you that they love us, but more importantly, God, I thank you that they love you. And Lord, I pray this prayer every Sunday, and I mean it in my heart. I pray that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would make your face shine down upon them and be gracious to them, and that you would give them peace. In the name of Jesus, God's people said. Amen. Don't forget to sign up for the community groups on your way out this morning. God bless you today, church.